Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Lots of action in technology this week. It's quite interesting. Russia plans to temporarily disconnect from the Internet. Really? To see what it would be like in the event of some sort of cyber warfare going on with the United States. Trump released an artificial intelligence uh, report where he was going to recommend uh, future research projects. The Raspberry Pi guy is making robotics look easy. This guy is an internet sensation. DJI has has updated their software so drones will not fly close to airports. This was after, of course, the Manchester Manchester Airport in England was shut down for a while with the drone, with the drone flight. And NASA's rover is finally dead. And I'm also going to talk about one more thing: replacing the border wall with an energy water corridor. This is a great idea that they talked about in Scientific America. It's uh, really uh, it may divert the debate into something useful. And this week, we're going to feature Herman Chinnery Hess. He's the founder of Soft Tribe, and he's popularly known as the Bill Gates of Ghana. This is an amazing story, what he has done. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Oh, my goodness, it Whoa, worked. Whoa, it worked. Wow. We got an email from Tom Shum. Interesting to hear about your views on education and what it does to and how you can teach so that you will not stifle creativity. He's talking about a segment I did last week about education in other countries and how you'd have to project century work. And I talked about projects that were uh, not too difficult and not too hard. So they would challenge the students and in the process, the students would develop a growth mindset. Now, what Tom is saying, he says achievable projects are very good in job-related exercises because that translates directly to the workplace. However, I believe that intractable problems, that means problems that may not even have a solution, provide far more room for thinking. One intractable problem I've been working on for 40 years and has helped me be creative and resourceful all through my life. Now, here's a list of some intractable problems out there, and he sent me a list. And it was quite interesting. Most of them are relating to challenges, um, um, ecological challenge that the earth is pursuing. Now, the intractable problem that Tom has been working on is inertial propulsion. That, of course, is – that's the holy grail. That's almost like a a perpetual motion machine in a sense. And it's widely dismissed as impossible. But inertial propulsion can open the solar system to easy exploration and commercial development. So even though it may be impossible, the fact that Tom's working on it is keeping his mind sharp. 
Solutions of intractable problems force the world forward. So it's worthwhile to work on them. Benefits include deep learning, resourcefulness, creativity, even if the problems can never be solved. At least that's what I think, Tom Shum. Well, Tom, you are right. But when you're teaching students and they're just beginning, you have to have projects that match their capacity. Once they have gone through the process and they are fully developed critical thinkers, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to continue their research or their mind development or their critical thinking skills by attacking intractable problems. It was a great email. Thanks, Tom. We got an email from Carol in St. Louis. Dear Doc and Jim, I really enjoyed the series of shows on cord cutters, but now I'm really going to do it. Do you have any updates or uh, options or, or available about or any updates on available streaming services and other things? Love the show, Carol in St. Louis. Well, Carol, let me give you some quick feedback on this cord cutting thing. I spent about four or five shows going through it as I was actually navigating all of the uh, intricacies of cutting the cord, and I've successfully been a cord cutter now for almost a year. Well, step one is you've got to get rid of the entertainment package. You're really not cutting the cord. You're still keeping the Internet. You've got to have the Internet hooked to your hooked to your basic system because all the streaming content comes over the internet. So you're basically canceling the entertainment package and you're trying to get, you know, internet only. Now, what I did to make it simple, I don't get phone either because I, many, uh, two or three years ago, I got an UMA box that plugs into my router and I ported my landline phone number over to UMA. So now all my landline calls come in as voice over IP calls. So I don't have to have a landline number associated with my internet service provider. So all I need is just pure straight internet. Now, the trick is when you try to cancel your entertainment package and go to pure internet, they really charge you a lot for the internet because they try to convince you that the entertainment package is not that much more and they don't give you a good price on pure internet. So what I had to do, I just let my contract expire. They left me with an expensive internet month-to-month package. But then once my contract expired on Verizon, I logged into the Verizon website, put in my username and password for my account, and it showed me as a customer without a contract. And they offered me this great deal to get a two-year contract. So I got a two-year contract with Verizon, and it's only $59.99 a month, and they gave me a $100 gift card. They treated, treated me like a new client. It turns out these online deals are not available when you talk to somebody on the phone. So you got to let your whole thing expire, then go online. They'll treat you like a new customer, work like a champ. I did the same thing. I've got another account down in Northern Neck. I did the same thing down there. I'm running about $59 for Internet down there. So that's the first thing you've got to do. Then you've got to select a streaming provider. Now, these streaming providers, are you know, they'll, they'll do a certain amount of bundling, uh, and they'll have different tiers like – usually low, medium, and high tier, depending on how much you want to get. And you have to look at the specific uh, channels that they have to see whether it meets your needs. They're, the second thing you have to look at is how many simultaneous screens they permit. Say like Hulu lets you have six screens simultaneously, where say DirecTV now gives you two screens simultaneously. So the number of simultaneous screens will affect your plan, and that depends on how many kids you have, how many people around the house are going to be using it, looking at a different um, a different uh, screen um, from that particular uh, streaming service provider. Now, DirecTV Now, this has probably got the best channel selection. Their prices start at $40. That's what I ended up with. 
When I ended up getting DirecTV now, they did not offer CBS. They had ABC, NBC for local news. They didn't have CBS. So I ended up, I ended up getting CBS over-the-air TV. But since then, DirecTV now has added CBS, so it's a pretty good package. And if you're an AT&T wireless customer, they even give you a further discount. Uh, Hulu with live TV, Hulu is basically known as sort of entertainment content. It's sort of a – Hulu originally was sort of like Netflix for TV shows. You could look at all the TV shows, all the series, and Hulu, it was, it was pretty good content. And then they started adding live TV, and they start at $35. But the live TV, they don't necessarily have all the local channels, so there are quite a few channels missing in their setup. And the Hulu – interface is really hard to use. So, I mean, I don't like Hulu with live TV. And if you're already a Hulu user and you like it, you could add live TV, I suppose. But that would not be my best option. The um, PlayStation View is uh, is pretty good. They let you skip commercials. It's If you're a PlayStation 4 owner, it's pretty good for you. Starting price is $45. And you could, they've got progressively higher levels, like at $50, $60, $80. But there are a lot of missing channels. They've got good, solid DVR storage, but um, but it's a uh, but it's not a very good channel selection overall. So I ended up not going with PlayStation View. Then the original one that everybody went with originally, they're the ones that sort of established the category, was Sling TV. That's really the cheapest and you can save money. And get, you, that starts at $25, and, and that gives you ESPN. And then they've got the, the next band is $40, and that includes with an additional $5 for DVR. But there are still quite a few missing channels with Sling. And Sling in particular did not have two or three of the channels that I really watched a lot, and they don't have very much live TV. Then the last one is YouTube TV. That You know, Google got into this thing later. They had YouTube. Then they started adding live TV to YouTube. They call it YouTube TV, and they focused on getting uh, local content and focused on sports. So if you're a sports person, YouTube TV may be okay. The starting price is $40. Um, those are all that I – when I now how I actually picked it, it's sort of tricky to pick them because they have so many different options, but they all have a 30-day free trial. So what I did, I signed up for everything for 30-day free trial, and so for one month I tried them all. I tried all the interfaces. I tried all the stations. And once you're really using it for a few days, you know really, you know pretty well whether it's going to meet, meet your needs. So that's what I'd recommend. Get the 30-day trial, but just be careful not to let it go past 30 days or you'll be paying for five, the monthly cost of five different systems. Now, the step three is over-the-air television. I ended up See, remember I said originally they didn't have CBS on DirecTV now, so I wanted over-the-air television. So um, I ended up putting uh, antennas in the attic, and at one house, I was quite a long distance from the uh, – and it was sort of down at a, in a depression area. So I, I actually had to put some fairly big antennas in the attic. Then I put a 30 dB amplifier on it, and because there were cell phone towers between my house and the TV channel, LTE t- turns out it uh, interferes with HDTV. So I got an LTE filter. It filters out the signals from the cell phone towers, which I needed just because of my particular situation. And with that amplifier and the LTE filter and the um, and the antennas that I set up, it, it was great reception for over-the-air television. Then what I did, I got the Tableau box, which is a small box that actually streams – 
the over-the-air television to your Wi-Fi. In the Tableau box, I got four tuners so I could stream four different channels at the same time because I might have four TVs in the house and all each of the TVs is streaming a different channel. Now, the Tableau also has something interesting. You can hook a hard drive to it and, it, and you can ask it to record over-the-air television programs because there's a lot of content, especially in the sub-channels. So with, with the Tableau and looking at all the sub-channels, I picked up about 40 channels. That might have been you know, six main channels plus all the sub-channels. And then I could actually record a lot of stuff onto the hard drive. So I had my own local DVR system. So I really like the Tableau system. The four-tuner box is about $299. Really is slick. And the uh, two-tuner box, which I don't recommend because you're always going to want to use more than two tuners, especially if you're recording stuff, is around uh, $199. But what is interesting, when I'm not at home, suppose I'm, I'm in India, I can log into my Tableau from India and I can get streaming content from my house in India, which is really convenient because if I try to get streaming content, say, from Netflix or the other places, they block India. But since my own over-the-air television, I'm not blocked. So that's quite convenient. Now, the second advantage that you want to look at when you're, if you've got more than one location is that, like my YouTube TV, I have two houses. I use the same YouTube TV account for both houses. Now, I only have two screens that can be used at any one time, but I never use any more than two screens. So I'm at house A, I use the same YouTube TV. So the same $40 a month works for two locations. So it's really quite a good deal. Uh, listen, I hope you enjoy this cutting the cord project because it's a lot of fun and I think the conventional cable carriers have actually gotten a little bit more expensive, too expensive. Now, the one problem I'm saying is that some of these over there streaming channels are beginning to look like carrier providers, providers as they get more and more bands and more and more channels. So I hope it doesn't evolve that they're super expensive. But right now you can get pretty much whatever you want for around $40. And then, of course, if you want to get Netflix, that's an additional fee. If you want to, and then if you get Amazon Prime for your movies. And then there are just a number of free channels, free movie channels that you can get. That like Sony, um, uh, like that Sony's got a free channel, and then you can watch movies, and they just have ads built into them. But I hope you enjoy your cutting the cord experience. We got an email from Jeff in Springfield, dear Tech Talk. I've been reading that Apple is replacing the Intel chip with the Qualcomm chip in some of its phones. Which one should I get, and which is best? Enjoy the podcast, Jeff in Springfield. Well, Qualcomm, of course, invented CDMA. That's the that's the uh, protocol that's used by a lot of play, a lot of companies in the U.S. Co-division multiple access, and that competes directly with the European standard GSM, Global System for Mobile. And um, so, Qualcomm is, has this uh, basically had locked up through a series of patents all the CDMA technology, and it turned out that. Um, Apple had been buying all of their uh, all of their cellular radio chips from Qualcomm until 2016, but then Qualcomm wanted higher and higher licensing fees, so Apple was trying to break out of that. So in 2016, they actually started using some Intel chips, which also had CDMA built into them, and Intel did not violate any of the patent, did not infringe on any patents when they built that chip, and as well as the Qualcomm chip. But it turned out there was a support chip that went with the Intel chip that did violate some of the 
some of the uh, Qualcomm patents, and that was the and that support chip is what got them in trouble. So in Germany, Qualcomm took them to court, and the German court said, "Look, if you've got the Intel chip with this." With this, uh, with this Norvo chip, which is a support chip for the Intel chip, you cannot sell it in Germany. So they basically pulled out all the Intel chips. And now in Germany, they're only selling the iPhone 7 and iPhone 8 with the Qualcomm chip. Now, the fact is the Qualcomm chip per- performs better. It's got better performance of the Intel chip. So that's not a bad deal at all. And now what we don't know is what's going to happen in the U.S., because now the court case in the U.S. is coming up in April of this year. And if they lose that court case, probably the iPhone 7 and 8 will also have the Qualcomm chip in it. You can look at the serial number of your iPhone. You go to settings and then about and then look up the serial number and then go to the Apple website. And but with that serial number, you can tell which, uh, which chip you have. I'm thinking if, if I can get the Qualcomm chip in the U.S., I may upgr- upgrade my iPhone 6 to an iPhone 7. I, I don't know whether I'm going to go to the 10 they got. I think it's just too expensive. But I would like to get the Qualcomm chip because it's a, it's a higher performance chip than the, uh, than the Intel chip. By the way, my iPhone 6S, I checked it. It's got a Qualcomm chip in it because they were selling all Qualcomm chips back there when they are doing the 6S. Mm-hmm. We got an email from Maggie in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk. I heard there's a new Mac virus out there that masquerades as a Windows executable and that it's spreading fast. I've got a Mac. How can I protect myself from this new strain? Love the show, Maggie and Richmond. Well, Maggie, you are really on top of it. Researchers from Trend Macro said in a blog posting that they found an active strain of Mac malware that gets past the gatekeeper program built into Mac OS by simply being a Windows application or a Windows executable in technical terms. The Windows malware comes hidden in, a, in pirated copies of popular Mac shareware programs found on torrent sites. It uses widely available software compatibility framework to run on Macs and then gathers information and tries to install more Mac malware and adware. The Windows malware has already infected Macs in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, and other countries. This is the way, Maggie, you can avoid this threat by not downloading pirated software. <laughs> you know, that's all. Hey, that's, that's pretty simple. Hey, don't be a crook. <laughs> that's right. Don't be a crook. <laughs> and if you have been a crook, then you can install third-party Mac antivirus <laughs> software that checks for Windows malware. That would be since Kaspersky Internet Security for Mac, Avist Free Mac Security, or Bitdefender Antivirus for Mac. Either one of those three would, would pick it up, and then you will be quite safe. Listen, we love your emails. We do, indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Wow. Listen to that, Doc. We got the music to work. Whoa. It's Saturday morning, and this is Tech Talk Radio. You're listening to us on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. And you can uh, follow us uh, on the uh, Twitter, not the Twitter, the Twitter. I sound like I'm 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you can watch us do the show. We're having some technical issues here. New studio. Uh, watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at... WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Herman Chinnery Hess. Herman Chinnery Hess is founder of Soft tribe soft tribe the largest software company in ghana and is popularly known as the bill gates of ghana herman chinnery hess was born in dublin in 1963 and he was but he was raised in ghana his mom was from ghana after he was born his mom sent him back to ghana and he actually was nursed by his mom's twin sister while he was growing up, and then ultimately, two years later, his mom moved back to Ghana, and he grew up in Ghana. Herman's mother was the former deputy director general of the International Labor Organization and vice chair of Ghana's National Development Planning Commission, so she was kind of a big deal down there in Ghana. Herman was educated in the Fansipan School in Ghana and then later in the U.K., now, after he got his U.K. education, he began his professional life as an engineer at a U.K. plasterboard manufacturer. Now, the first pay packet that he received from his uh, pl plasterboard manufacturing job, he, he used to buy a computer that cost him 800 British pounds. And then he started tinkering on the computer at home. His bosses at the plasterboard company took note of his interest in technology and they moved him from mechanical to computer engineering. In the late eighties, um, the late eighties, his you know he returned to Ghana on a trip, and his friends were you know complaining that they didn't actually have jobs. He said, "Look, anybody can get a job here. I just don't believe you." He said, "I'll bet you a hundred pounds that I can get a job here by Monday." I mean, he was there drinking Saturday night, and then he woke up Sunday morning after after the evening in the bar, and he says, well, i got to get a job tomorrow or I'm going to lose 100 pounds. So he went out because he 
he knew how to tinker with computers. And he found a travel agency that had a broken computer. It had was it had a nice cover on it. It looked very pretty on the boss's desk, but nobody knew how to use it. He said, look, would you like me to fix that computer so you could use it here and actually use it for sales? So he worked with them. He fixed that computer. He, he loaded some application software on there that they could use for sales. And these guys were super impressed because at that time, hardly anybody knew anything about computers in in Ghana. And then through word of mouth, everybody wanted him to help. He was inundated with offers. He found opportunity everywhere. So he showed his friends, you can get a job if you've got the right skills. Then in 1990, um, he graduated from the uh, state university with the BSIT he went to Texas State University, graduated in 1990, and this is where he discovered at the university they had a real t- talent for software coding. Now, three weeks after he graduated from Texas State University, he moved back to Ghana, and he said, I want to start a software factory. Now, this is why he used these words. He said, look, he said, you, you go to Ghana, if they would say they wanted to go into, say, electronics manufacturing and compete with China, you'd know they couldn't do it. They don't know the infrastructure. But he said, look, I've got a computer. I can sit and I can write code. I can write code as, be- as well as a guy in China. It's just I'm competing one brain to one brain. He said, so my computer is like a software factory. And if, I, and if Ghana wants to su- compete on the world market, we need to train people to use that software factory. So that was his mindset. In 1991, he founded SoftTribe. Now, you know, and he started just, you know, basically he just sort of bootstrapped it up. He found somebody that needed some help. They started writing uh, writing code in order to make a payroll system for companies because they, they wanted to kind of automate what they were doing. And they just started writing code. And he would hire local kids from Ghana and teach them programming. These would be kids that would not have a great opportunity any other way. He would bring them in, and if they'd work hard, he'd teach them programming. Now, in the beginning, Soft Tribe was started in the behind his parents' home in their old outhouse. He basically converted the old outhouse to a cramped office. I mean, he, he got rid of the toilet and all, but it was very small, and everybody's in this cramped office, you know, working on code. That was the initial office, and eventually— they started getting more work. They started adding more people. And um, they got an international contract with Nestle's head office. They were back here working in the outhouse. Nestle had no idea where these guys were. They said, whatever you do, we, you don't need to visit us. We'll visit you. They didn't want Nestle to come down and visit them in the outhouse. And they they actually landed that contract just doing some international programming work. A few later, few years later, his team swelled to 28 people. Hmm. And then Chinnery Hess decided he started looking for office space. He says, well, this office space is just way too expensive. So he bought a freight container, and he and he, he opened it up. He put lights in it, and then he put two air conditioners in it, and the team worked out of a freight container for six years. Wow. With two air conditioners in it. I mean, you know, there weren't there weren't many windows. This would be, uh, you know, he was really bootstrapping this thing as he was starting Soft Tribe. Now, by providing internet bandwidth, hosting software uh, for hosting uh, software, by developing software for companies, for African companies, he basically began to then sell to more and more companies. He had more than 250 clients in Ghana who were actually using his software. You know, his uh, 
his software for um, for payroll was very popular because it was very intuitive. The folks in in Ghana they knew exactly how to use it. They had great support, so he was giving them really good good activity. He believes now one of his most popular programs there at um, Soft Tribe is a um, it's it's basically a security program where if your house is being attacked, you send a text message to them. Uh, they then know your GPS coordinates. Using those GPS coordinates, they notify the police. They notify all the ten neighbors right around your house that that there's a, a break-in going on in your house. And in Ghana. Hmm. If your neighbors know there's a break-in, they all come out in the streets with baseball bats, and that guy's going to get that guy's not going to make get anywhere. Maybe and, we should try that in Baltimore. That's right, and that turned out to be really successful. It turns out the thieves are more afraid of the neighbors with the baseball bats than they are with the police than they are the police. <laughs> <laughs> so that turned out to be extremely, extremely successful product. Wow. So. He hired, uh, and he doesn't import any expensive internationally educated software engineers. He just hires local boys and girls. Maybe they got some problem with the law. Maybe they had some, you know, some blemish on their record. He takes them in. He trains them. He develops them. And his programmers are fiercely loyal to SoftTribe because he has given them a chance. Now, he's funded by an angel investor now, and he's developing a system that's going to be like Amazon for Africa. It's kind of a cross between eBay and PayPal uh, because it, it turns out he realized Ghana now has the Internet everywhere, and nearly everyone has a cell phone. Even in the poorest of the poor areas of Ghana, people have a cell phone. But there is a problem of you know like p- payments, how people get paid. Not everybody has a bank account. So he's developing a system where people, you know, artisans or Farmers can put product on the web, sell it like that's sold on eBay, and then he's got a text message technique that will transfer the money to them so they can actually be paid through their cell phone directly. And so this will be pretty good. So suppose somebody has a carving that they're making. Um, they would then get the order. They would package it. They would take it to the uh, local uh, UPS, and then when it's scanned in – and it's on the way, the payment for that item will automatically transfer to their cell phone. So people get paid immediately. Hmm. And he's done a lot of other things, too, where people can go into concerts where you just basically, you know, you basically have a, have an e-ticket and you just scan it at the door. He's, he's actually done all sorts of things with payments in Ghana. It's really quite interesting. Now, here's the thing, and this is why I wanted to – feature him a little bit because this this whole thing about attitude of international agencies on these developing countries is something that he's looking at. He believes he believes that Africa has to solve its own problems and that the international aid community cannot send in a bunch of outsiders to parachute in to solve the problem. He believes the whole aid system in Africa and around the world is too infected by colonialism. With a colonial mindset that that the local African people aren't smart enough to solve their own problems, so we got to bring in the smart guys from the West. So here's an example, and this is really interesting. He wrote this great software program for payroll. It was even used by some agencies of the British government in uh, in Britain. It was very well received. Then. An international aid agency gave the Ghana government eight hundred. 
thousand pounds to automate their payroll system because government payroll is a big problem. So what did they do? They hired a bunch of German engineers who flew down to Ghana, stayed in five-star hotels, lived like kings, and then they said, well, you guys, you guys down here in Ghana, we're going to bring down, you know, the real stuff from SAP. And so they started implementing that down in Ghana. Now, Herman went to the government. He said, look, I've got a great system. Even the British are using it. I'll give it to you free. The government wouldn't take it because they had this $800,000 to buy this thing from other sources. See, the problem is the idea, the whole colonial mindset is that only the West has the solutions. And he says, that is just really backwards. And he thinks, and he's trying to change that whole mindset. And he is going around, you know, youth by youth, training them in programming. He's creating African-centric solutions to their problems and he is changing that country. It is really quite amazing. I've, I've watched so many of his TED Talks. I got fascinated with Herman, you know, as I was looking him up. And the more I looked at his TED Talks, he is on to something here that they can actually, and this can be applied to almost any country. And I started looking around at this, this whole colonial mindset. You know, I've been in India. I've been around the world. It is a problem. It is a problem. And when you, when you have that mindset, you don't even realize it. But... You know, a lot of these countries, you know, the international community say we'll loan uh, a country a lot of money to do something, and then they bring in Western experts to spend all the money, and they may or may not solve the problem. But when they're done, the country owes all that money back to the to the IMF. So it's not necessarily good for them. I think Herman is onto something. He's a clever guy. He's a good programmer. He's a great humanitarian. And that's why they call him the Bill Gates of Ghana. There you go. And there you go, Herman Chinnery Hess, founder of Soft Tribe, and popularly known as the Bill Gates of Ghana. Yeah, I hope you're paying attention because coming up, we're going to play the pop quiz and it'll be your chance to win free lunch based on your knowledge of what we just talked about in Profiles in IT. You're listening to <laughs> Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the program by following us on Periscope on your device and downloading uh, and uh, actually following us at WFED Tech Talk. Be right back right after this. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can sit down now. You I know, know you love this studio, the, but just relax. The stadium seating yeah, with the popcorn holders it is, perfect is really nice. It really, it really is. is. Now pizza's, this, pizza's coming in the next break, folks. This is Breakfast actually, pizza. in addition to a radio show, a classroom of the airways. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the show, we talked about Herman Chinnery Hess, founder of Soft Tribe. He, of course, is also known popularly as the Bill Gates of Ghana. Now, he went back to Ghana... Uh, for a weekend with his friends, and then he decided just to find out what it was like to try to work in Ghana, and he went and went to a travel agency, and he got a lot of work fixing computers, working on computer software, got as much work as he needed. What was the reason that he went out to try to get a job there after going out drinking with his buddies that weekend? All right. If you know the answer to today's question, well, now's the time to pick up your device and call. And this week, we can actually take phone calls because the phones are working. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, dial us at 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're enjoying a delicious cup of Nestle International Coffee in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. And as always, the wild card line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. And now what we're going to be doing here is you want to if you want to reach us with a from a remote location. Oh, that's right, yes. You can reach us for using Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1. Tech Talk uh Radio 1, and you will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. It's amazing how, when you're in a new, new environment, all of Everything your old knowledge just is sucked out of your it head. It is. It is. It's amazing. And you forget what you used to do and exactly. how you did it. Okay, now we can make the music go away for, for good. All right, let's talk about uh, Russia and their plans to temporarily disconnect the Internet. See, you know, what's interesting, in Tyson's Corner, 70% of the Internet traffic globally goes through the uh, the main routers here in in the um, in, out at Ashburn, all the big all the big that's like that's like the ground central for the global internet. And Russia is worried that if they would ever get into a war with the United States, we'd just cut off all their access to the routers here in the U.S. and then they would have trouble operating. So they want to say, how will it function 
if they are disconnected from the global Internet and they only have their own Russian Internet as an operating element. Now, that means that all the routing within the Russian Internet has to be done internally and it can't be sent out globally. So they want to test whether, in fact, all the routers are properly configured for that to happen. So they're going to disconnect Russia from the global Internet, and they're going to try to operate as a self-contained unit to see whether they can function properly. Now, China has already done that. China has created a self-contained Internet within China, which is separated from the rest of the world, what they call by the Great Chinese Wall, where they basically monitor and filter all traffic in and out of China. That's why whenever I, you know, go to China, there is a latency, there's a delay that I can see, which is like, uh, you know, a second or two because of that great Chinese firewall. And people are afraid that Russia's going to do the same thing, start monitoring things. So within the next one or two months, they're going to try this experiment to completely disconnect from the Internet. Now, Trump is signing an order to boost artificial intelligence research. Now, he signed an executive order directing U.S. government to prioritize AI research. The order comes because China has an ambitious plan to dominate the AI world, and they want to disrupt everything. Now, it doesn't have any specific goals. It doesn't have any specific budget amounts. It's just saying prioritize it and focus more on AI. Now, it looks more to me more like a consultant report than anything, but at least it indicates that Donald Trump knows that artificial intelligence exists and it is important. So hopefully with that interest, they will develop a solid AI policy that will actually have some real money associated with it for research. Okay. Um, keep talking. Oh, wait. Okay. Wait a minute. Hang on. I think we've got it. We've got it. Let's Let's do this. Whoa. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, we've got some music. That's okay. good. We're going to go to line one and talk to, hey, Andrew, hold up. The... <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Andrew gets a winner, <laughs> writes the name down, puts it on a Wells Fargo wagon, which then comes around the studio. <laughs> this is Tom calling us from Falls Church, Virginia. Tom, are you there? Wait a minute. Tom, are you there? Tom, can you hear us? This is the big How experiment. How about now, Tom? Can you hear us? Doesn't look like it. This is the big experiment. Let's try this. Eh. Looks like, well, he's there, but he's not there. So let's just do this. Okay, so Tom, Dr. Schertz, ask the question. Okay. Early in the show, we, of course, talked about Herman Chinnery Hess, founder of Soft Tribe. He went to Ghana in the late 80s and was drinking with his friends. And Monday morning, he decided he better go out and get a job. What motivated him to go after that job? Hi, this is Tom. It was some kind of some kind of a bet they had, right? That is right, Tom. How about that? Yeah, Tom, very you're the good. winner. <laughs> when in doubt, fake when it. When in doubt. <laughs> Gee, I love your show. Thanks for letting me win today. <laughs> okay. There All right. we go. It is uh, time for us to take a break. It is Saturday morning, <laughs> and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News <laughs> part of the Federal News Network at 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, and 103.9 FM HD2. We follow us. So actually, uh, you can watch us uh, <coughs> make fools of ourselves by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Where's the music? 
There's music somewhere. It's right here. There we go. There we go. We'll be right back. More tech talk right after this. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio. Presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lines of Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about the Raspberry Pi guy. All right. He makes robotics look easy. He's a first-year university student, and he's become an online sensation offering expert advice for do-it-yourself robotics and computer programming. Matt Timmons-Brown has built a huge following showing people how to create fun, practical projects on, the t on tiny, affordable computers. His tutorial videos feature the credit card size Raspberry Pi, which was launched in 2012 to help people learn about computer programming. Now he's an Edinburgh student. Matt is dubbed the Raspberry Pi guy. He's published his first book, and he guides readers through the process of building a robot. It's called Learn Robotics with Raspberry Pi. Matt, who's studying at the University School of Engineering and Informatics, developed an interest in computer electronics after becoming one of the first people to own a Raspberry Pi. He set up a YouTube channel, and he often shares his progress and creates tutorials to help inspire others. His page has become the most popular YouTube channel about Raspberry Pi. Currently has around 66,000 subscribers. His videos have attracted nearly 6 million views, and they range from beginner's guides to advanced guides on how to build even a robotic electric skateboard. He wanted to create the ultimate beginner's guide so that one that he would have liked to have had when he just started out. If you want to check out all of his stuff, Go to theraspberryguy.com and you can look at all of his videos and read about 
his progress. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the program from our new studios in Friendship Heights, Maryland, by downloading the Periscope device to your app and following us at at, uh, WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I want to talk something about a really clever idea for the border wall. Because this has been in the news. This has been in the news this week, and we've got this intractable disagreement between the Republicans and the Democrats, and there was a solution in Scientific American that I think is absolutely brilliant. What they're proposing, instead of an endless inert wall along the U.S.-Mexican border, they are proposing a boundary with 2,000 miles of natural gas and solar and wind power plants. They're going to use energy they're going to do two things. This wall is going to have a water pipeline that runs the whole distance, a huge water pipeline. The water is going to come from desalination plants that are either in the Gulf of Mexico or in the Pacific Ocean. And these desalination plants will be powered by solar power, and you can certainly do that. So there will be water running through there. There will, match, there will be a natural gas line running through there. And these guys believe that this can be an economic boom to the area on both sides of the border. See, a lot of that area is, you know, there's no water. They can't have agriculture. They can't have business because they don't have energy. And if they could make a water and energy system, they could actually have economic development zones on both sides of the border. So the pipe would physically block would would take the you couldn't scale this pipe would run the length of the it border would, basically it, it, it would be a combination I mean the pipe and then there would be a fence it would all be one combination it would be a barrier but the but then instead of somebody just getting 
a fence there that doesn't do anything to help them. It's a them. fence that protects the facility. Yeah, but then the you've got the fence there that provides the barrier. But then in addition to that, it's providing water. It's providing gas. It's providing electrical power so that you can create a factory. You can farm. You can do things. And the area on either side of the wall would become an economic development zone. So a consortium of 27 engineers and scientists from a dozen U.S. universities, they developed a plan for this. They delivered it to three U.S. representatives and one senator last week. Now, the border region would, would you know, receives boundless solar energy, and they've got significant natural gas and wind resources there. But it's the drought, the lack of water that's the problem, making farming exceedingly difficult. Jobs are scarce because there's no water, no power. But with water and power, farming and manufacturing could flourish. This means jobs could be created on both sides of the border. The future energy water industry, uh, 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 the future industry in the area would be would be sort of sparked with the availability sure. of energy and water. They call it a border industrial park, and it could work politically. I see here the Democrats want the new green deal. This fits right into the new green deal perfectly. The Republicans want a border security. Both parties win something, and it could be a win for both U.S. and Mexico. It could be a completely different discussion of the idea behind the border wall. And, in fact, the distribution of water, the distribution of gas, they could sell it, and they could end up paying for the whole facility and the whole infrastructure by the sale of services. I think this is, you know, I think this is brilliant. Now, one of the issues, if they do that much desalination of salt water, they, they actually— um, create this brine which is left over and they're going to have to find a way to use that brine because you can't put it back in the ocean it it, it has an ecological negative ecological effect so they are working now on a way to extract chemicals from the brine and actually get something further out of it they believe that a that they could easily power the desalination plant with a 600 megawatt power plant uh, which would all be solar powered this actually, and then there would be solar farms along the way that would actually operate water pumps to pump the water through the pipeline. Now, this initial proposal, the, the consortium sent an initial request for $1.1 billion to get these and other actions up and running. So we, you don't think of it as a barrier. You think of it as an energy corridor or a water corridor that can create a, an opportunity for both countries. And there, there are other examples where countries have cooperated like this. So like, for instance, the border between Canada and the U.S., uh, we have Niagara Falls, which generates power. Some of the power comes to the U.S., some of the power comes to Canada. It's actually shared between the two countries. I think we've got to t completely rethink this. And so you'd combine the infrastructure along with the barrier. Now, the, you'd have to find a way to let wildlife traverse back and forth. That is a real issue. But they could solve the problem. But I think this would be the beginning of a negotiated settlement. Is this on anybody's uh, plate? Does anybody that's making a decision know about this? Well, the consortium of 27 engineers delivered it from a dozen universities, delivered it to, to Congress last week. They gave it to three U.S. representatives and one senator. Now, do you know which side of the no, aisle they were on? No, I'm, and I'm thinking they're, they're going to want to go to both sides. But I this, would think that would make sense. But but you see, this all of a sudden, this changes the whole conversation because Mexico really wants economic development on their side 
on their side of the border. So they could have energy, they could have water, they could have agriculture, mm-hmm. they could have employment. So do you think they'd chip in on this? They would buy the they would buy the services. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't they wouldn't chip in on. So the, we would build it. We would build it, and then we would sell gas to the. the to both sides. Mm-hmm. We'd sell gas. We'd sell water to both sides. And it would become sustainable long-term as the infrastructure to have economic development along the border. And these are very arid regions. So people from both sides of the border could work there, do you think? Or on either you- side. The, the the energy would, would be shared on both sides, just like up at Niagara Falls. Some of the electricity comes to the U.S., some goes to Canada. But, I mean, at the at the specific facility, which is basically going to be on the border— could Mexicans be working in that plant? No, no, they they would be. You you would you, just, you would have them they, at, at, an, at an off-site location. You would just send the water off-site. Uh huh. So this would be a source of water and gas, mm-hmm. source of water, gas, and electricity, and you would send those utilities off-site to to farms that are adjacent to the border. Okay. You see, so they're not actually on the border, but but the fact is. The the solar plants that that are used to drive the um, you know to you know to drive the pumps and other things there will be jobs in those solar plants. I was going to say I have to somebody's so, got to work there. So there will be jobs that could be employment for both Mexicans as well as Americans working on the actual plants themselves. But the extended thing of having this as a as a um, as a utility corridor to stimulate the broader economy of the region is dramatic. So all of a sudden people say, okay, we got this wall, but now we've got the wherewithal to actually actually have farming and actually have business here. I think this is brilliant. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it sidesteps the whole issue yep. of who's going to pay for it because whoever uses utilities will, 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 will pay for it over time. You know what the problem is, right? It well, makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> but the thing is, I think people want to make sense on this. People are just tired of this impasse. Yeah, except the problem is that people— and, and so in, in position of power that don't that no are, but I I think this does make sense and uh, and you know if you go back to the Harvard negotiating project negotiating to yes you ask what what do people want what 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 Mexico wants are jobs they don't like losing all their people if we could find a way to provide employment within Mexico the, they, they would stay they would love to stay and um, and if we could get water to these farms that are arid, I think even the the ranchers adjacent to this thing would be in favor of that because all of a sudden they would have they would have water. I think this is brilliant, and um, I'm I'm going to look further at this and try to find. But they've got a great write up in the in the uh, Scientific American magazine that I read, and so this thing may go somewhere because it's going to bring back all the competing factors. So it's a little ray of hope that everything isn't like going down the toilet with our current <laughs> political situation. Exactly. So there we go. And now there you me, go. Oh, Rover is dead. Uh-huh. They, after 14 years, it finally gave up the ghost. The solar power unit got trapped in a dust storm, and it never came back to life. It was a great, great one for the NASA Rover. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we'd like you to go to the Stratford University website. That's www.stratford.edu. Check out all of our programs there in hospitality, culinary arts, computer, business, accounting. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.